All right, well, uh, first service was a little, uh, I'll be honest, if you're here first service, you know that this is true, that it was a little dead. And uh, yesterday, I was in Fort Smith, Arkansas, doing some training for our district, and uh, in, in the midst of it, the way that I do this training, it's very interactive, and people are kind of calling out answers and participating in it. And for whatever reason, unlike Lubbock and Houston, Fort Smith was just dead. In the first, first quarter of my presentation, I was like, kept tapping the mic. I'm like, is this thing on? I was giving some of my best jokes and uh, nothing. Like, they just weren't laughing. I don't know if I'm just not funny in Arkansas and Oklahoma, but... Uh, I, you know, I thought humor was universal, but apparently not. Um, so uh, it was just kind of dead, and so we broke the ice with some things, and I want to do that with you guys this morning. I want you, let's get, there's a lot more people in here, so it'll be a little bit of a challenge. I just want you to turn to somebody other than your spouse, and I want you to share a time in your life in which you had to rethink your life, All right? So everybody's like, which time? I'll give you, give you an example of a time in my life where we had to rethink it. Uh, my wife and I had uh, just moved to San Antonio, Texas 12 years ago. We were here a year, and we had a boy and a girl, Jacob and Claire. Our life was, was seemingly perfect in the sense that everything was in place. And I stood, you've heard this story before, I stood on this platform right here, this very stage, same green stage, as ugly as it is. And and I stood here, and for whatever reason, God, only God knows why I was in the passage of Scripture. I've never preached from it since. But I was in the passage of Scripture that says, your quiver being full, about your quiver being full. And I, and I just turned to the congregation. It was much smaller than this. And I said, hey, just so you guys know, our quiver's full. Don't do that. <laughs> A month later, we find out that we're pregnant. We had sold all of our stuff. We had no maternity insurance, and I was freaking out. And we had to rethink our life. So I want you to share with somebody a time that you had to rethink your life. Maybe it was an unplanned pregnancy. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was the loss of a loved one. Maybe it was a new job or a relocation. But share with somebody. And then I want to talk about the elements that take place when we have to rethink our life. All right? Go.
All right. If you didn't get a chance to share, it's okay. Hopefully at least one in your, one out of the two or three got to share something. But I'm curious, what are some of the things that you experience? What are some of the emotions, some of the feelings, the things that you experience when you have to rethink your life? Terror. Okay. Uncertainty. Good. Purpose. Confusion. Hope. Good. Guilt. Guilt. Okay. What's that? From where? Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> I'm like, well, next in my notes, we're going to go. No, I got it. Where? Direction. Good. What else? Anger. Loss. Grief. We'll say grief. I before E except after C. Okay. What? Regret. What, what, what are some things that it causes you to have to do when you rethink your life? Pause. Scramble. Change. Trust, good. What, wait, what was that? Forgive, good. Pray, yeah. I'll tell you what, uh, when we found out we were pregnant, uh, there was a lot, like my prayer life has never been as strong as it was in that moment. And I remember specifically, I was sitting in a council meeting, and I've told this story before, but I was sitting in a council meeting and Brian Cesaric was across the table from, from me. And I'm looking at the council saying, we don't have maternity insurance. I have no idea how we're going to pay for this. This wasn't supposed to happen. I was freaking out. And Brian Cesaric, sitting across the table, did the most pastoral thing that I should have been doing, but he did it, opened up his Bible. And he says, and he reads the passage of Scripture that says, children are a blessing from the Lord. So stop freaking out, and let's just pray for God's provision. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I know that. I know. <laughs> we pray. What else? Surrender. Surrender. We're resilient. Evaluate. Evaluate. What was that? Get advice and plan. Good. Now, let, let me ask you one more question in regard to this. What are the things that keep us from rethinking our life? Fear? Comfort? I'm going to need shorter words. I don't, I don't, I don't, 
claim to be the best speller. So, uh, complacency. Thank you. What else? What? Pride. Yeah, we could just say sin. <laughs> Lest we forget that pride is a sin. Integrity? Wait, why? Yeah. So why does integrity keep us from rethinking our life? Okay. Anything else? Shame, denial. Good. I mean, they're not good. Shame and denial are not good, but they're good answers. Busyness. I'm running out of space. Pure pressure. Good. We got denial. What we're about to talk about in this series that we're in called Let Your Life Speak is to take a second and to evaluate and rethink our lives. To, to think about the areas of our life that maybe we haven't given over to God. And there are some things that will try and creep in that will keep us from actually rethinking and pivoting into the things that God's called us to be in. And so I want us to pray and ask the Lord for him to over, be an overcomer in this situation. He is the overcomer, and so that we would be a people that would find ourselves not living in fear, not living in pride or complacency, not living in, uh, in, a, uh, in denial or in shame or any of these things, but we would just come in a sense of humility before our Creator. And say, God, what do you want to do in my life today? Father, we, I pray that over each and every one of us this morning. Lord, that as we gather into this place, we get to experience the sure foundation that is you. You are our rock. And you are also our overcomer. And so anything that we talk about today, God, I pray that there would not be a spirit of fear or shame or condemnation, that there would not be pride or complacency or a comfortability, but, Lord, a willingness to say, God, what do you want to do in my life today? What areas of my life have I been holding on to and not allowing you access into? In Jesus' name, amen. So my question, uh, the questions that we've been answering in this series, Let Your Life Speak, is are you a person that's been just drifting through life, or are you actually seeking what it is that God has for you? Are you one that, that just wishes that things would change in your life, just wishes that things would be different, or is it that God has put in you some God-sized dreams that you are pursuing? Are you staying on the path that God's leading you on, or are you finding yourself getting derailed? Are you in a good job or a bad job 
or as we talked about last week, a miserable job? Are you working in order to rest or are you in a scriptural sense resting in order to work? Today we're going to talk about living our life not in a compartmentalized nature, but actually in an integrated nature under the headship of Jesus. I don't know about you guys, but I, don't, I, like, I like fancy food, uh, but I'm kind of sick and tired of people messing with my food. And what I mean by that is they come up with these new inventions, these new ideas in, in how to present the food. And have you guys ever seen the, like foam? Like foam has kind of become, it was this popular thing. They were taking salmon and making foam out of it or some sort of disgusting thing. And, and, and they would put the foam on it. And I don't really want salmon on anything, let alone foamy salmon. Right? And it's just, it's just weird. But there was this, this kind of this period of time where it was really popular. There was all these restaurants that were actually created with this premise of a deconstructed meal. And I don't know if you guys have ever had a deconstructed meal. It's always weird. But uh, if you don't know what a deconstructed meal is, I have an example of a deconstructed salad for you, a Caesar salad. It looks like this. That, there's an anchovy on top. That's not really how I want my anchovies, necessarily. Let's take a look at the next one. What do you guys think this next one is? Yeah, it's the hipster meal that is a deconstructed avocado toast. What about the next one? Anybody know what that is? It's a deconstructed eggs benedict. I heard somebody say it which honestly is gross. What about the next one? That's a deconstructed smoothie. Right there. The reality is, is we're not intended to eat our food deconstructed. It's supposed to actually, you're supposed to take the ingredients and they make this amazing meal. And when you deconstruct it, it's just, there's something that's not right about it, right? When you eat it individually or, or, or whatever, it just, it doesn't taste the same. And there's, there's something different about a composed whole than just the sum ingredients that went into it. In fact, Aristotle said that we are far more than the sum of our parts. That there's something about living a life holistically than there is a de deconstructed life, a compartmentalized life. The way this typically plays out is uh, in your 20s, uh, you kind of compartmentalize this season of your life, and, uh, and maybe it's in this season that you're looking for love right? Hopefully in the right places, but you're looking for love. You're hoping to be married. You know, I mean, some of you now, uh, culturally, it's like, you know, not, not quite in my 20s, like later on, right? People are getting married much later on in life. And, uh, but there's a, kind of that season where I'm going to look for love. I'm going to find companionship during that time. In your 30s and 40s, this is the season of your life where you begin to start your career, you become an expert in a specific area. At least you think you're an expert in a specific area. And, and you find your expertise in this capacity, and you begin to build your career on it. You also, this is in the season where you're having children and building your family. 
It's also the time of your life in which you experience the fact that your health is not what it once used to be. All of a sudden, your metabolism just stops, right? And you find yourself being able to not eat the same things that you used to eat, no matter if it's deconstructed or put together in a meal, that you, you, all of a sudden you start gaining weight and your health and your emotions and all of those things start being called into question in your 30s and 40s. And then you move into your 60s and 70s and it's really this season of your life that we're all just waiting for, right? This time that's called retirement in which you get to finally play. You get to do the things that you always wanted to do, have the hobbies that you have put off because you've been too busy to do. Uh, you get to go the places that you had always wanted to go, but you couldn't ever go because you didn't have the time. And so we find ourselves in this season of retirement, which we finally now get to play. And so what happens is we've compartmentalized our life in, in decades where we've, we, this is our love and this is our uh, our work and our health, and then this is finally our play. We compartmentalize it in all these different categories instead of thinking, how are we able to live in each of those categories in every season of our life? Ezekiel is talking to the people of God, and these people are living in in two different places, there's a group of, of God's people who are living in Jerusalem at the time, and they're, they're really living in this victorious state where they're, they're finally being able to recognize that we are people of God, they're being seen by God, uh, they're, they're happy in this, in, this, in this place in Jerusalem, and, and then there's this whole other group of God's people who are in exile, and these people are feeling defeated they're feeling like they're unseen by God and completely lost. And that's where God speaks to his people. And it doesn't matter if you are in the camp where it feels like you're the king of the world. Or if you showed up here this morning and you find yourself in a place that feels unseen. Like, does God even know that I'm here? That it's in either of those places that God wants to speak to you today. The passage of Scripture comes from Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 18 through 21, and it begins, They will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart, not a deconstructed heart. Instead, I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone, and I will actually give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts are devoted to the vile images and detestable idols, I will bring down on their own heads what they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. God says, I want to remove the heart of stone. What is a heart of stone? Well, the heart of stone in, in this context is death. It's the places in our lives that haven't or we aren't willing to give God access to, to allow God to actually live. It's the things in which we put our value. It's, uh, it's that award or the title, the job, the achievement, anything 
that gives us an identity that is outside of the power and blessing of God in our life. God says, I want to be in relationship with you, and what I want you to do is I want you to take all of that stuff and I want you to lay it aside so that I can put in you life, a heart of flesh. Our lives are uh, broken down, really, every one of us, into four different categories, if we're being honest. This is something that's really begun to uh, change my perspective and my life, but all of us, in some capacity, our lives are broken down into work, health, relationships, and play. Now, even if you are a stay-at-home mom, I don't think that I have to remind you work is still a part of your life, right? So every one of us have some sort of work, health, relationships, and play. And oftentimes, these are our circles. In fact, let me just move these down. These are our circles, And sometimes what happens in our life is we will be very good about giving God part of our lives. We'll give God our family. We might even give Him our health, at least our spiritual health, our emotional health. But oftentimes we'll leave Him out of our work or we'll leave Him out of our play. We we find ourselves saying, well, God doesn't really care about our rest, except for the fact that he did give us this little thing called the Sabbath. So he must care a little bit about our play, our rest. Well, maybe, maybe he cares about that, but he doesn't necessarily care about my physical health, except for Scripture talks about being temples of the Holy Spirit, right? And that we are to be a people who actually care about our bodies because we are housing the living God. So he might make an argument that he cares about that. Oftentimes what happens is we will give him part of it, but we won't allow him access to all of who we are. And all of who we are, if we're going to get to a place of wholeness, we have to be willing to give him headship over all of it. So the interesting thing in our life is is that each of these things fuel us in different ways. So if there's part of your life that uh, you're not paying attention to, it will deplete you in such a way that you will will suffer in the other areas. My coach, Dave Rhodes, uh, uses a cartoon as an example. I'll show you the cartoon here. But it's essentially a fuel truck that runs out of gas. Right? It's so ironic, and it doesn't make any sense that, that you would allow your life to ever run out of gas, and yet oftentimes what we'll do is we'll focus on our work, even our health and our family, but we won't ever rest, and we will run out of gas. If we 
focus on our, our play and our family and our health, then we're homeless because we don't have work. But if we focus on our family and our play and our work, but we don't focus on our health, we die. Or we have an emotional breakdown. Or spiritually, we find ourselves out of alignment. Every one of these aspects of our life has to be surrendered and come under the lordship of Jesus. Discipleship is really being willing to put every aspect of our lives under Christ so that we can actually live a life of wholeness, the great life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when answering the question, what is discipleship, he says, the human heart only has the capacity for one all-encompassing, all-embracing allegiance. You have the capacity to have allegiance towards one thing. And you have it. But the question is, is it God? To be fully human is really to live this life of wholeness. And if there's capacities of our life in which we haven't really brought under the authority of Jesus, if there's aspects of our life that are struggling, then we have to ask the question, whether it's in our work or our health or our family or our play, we have to ask, what, what is working? What, what out of these things are working? Maybe your family is really in a great place, but honestly, your health is not. What's working in your life right now? What's broken in your life? What's, what's not, not functioning the way it's supposed to function? What's confused in your life? And then what's missing? To be honest, there's seasons of my life where I tend to be a little bit of a workaholic, and so I'll go a long time until I desperately have to have this. It's not in balance. And so this season that I'm in is really asking God, God, how can I have a balance, a Christ-centered balance in all of this? How can I, it's a little bit easier for me to bring Jesus into my workplace. It's easier certainly than probably you. But did you know that there's actually part of my work that I don't need God for? And what I mean by that before everybody gets up and leaves is there's part of my life that I can do in my own ability. And I wonder how much of us go to our work with our own ability and never dependent upon what God wants to do through us in our work. See, this all comes back down to a point of salvation. If you've ever been in a church service or you've had somebody share Christ with you, maybe you've had this experience where you have surrendered your life to Christ. We call that the point of salvation. That from this point forward, you now are saved and you get to go to heaven. There gets to be this eternal life that takes place. And when we boil it down to this point of salvation, oftentimes what we find in people's lives is when, when God said, I have created you for a plan and purpose before you were even formed in your mother's womb, 
that plan and purpose is more than just this point of salvation. There's actually more to this life that God wants to do through you. And so what happens is, is if we stay here at the point of salvation and never go deeper, never grow, never press into our relationship, never surrender all of who we are to all of who he is, we will find ourselves struggling through this life because he always intended us to surrender everything to him. If your life from the point of salvation to today if you look back and you say, well, I'm really not that much different today than I was then, you're not doing it right. This isn't working the way that it's supposed to work. And you say, whoa, 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 that sounds a little judgmental to me. It absolutely is. And you're like, okay, now I'm getting up and leaving. So my point is this, is that there should be transformation there's a theological term that we use, and not typically on Sundays, but it's called sanctification. There's this process, and everybody's process is different. There's the non-judgmental process, but everybody's process is different, but there should be growth. There should be a change of mindset. When you begin to surrender all of this to Jesus, all of a sudden the, decision, the decisions that you make are now not how you used to make them. They're made under the Lordship of Christ. Our thought patterns become different. And in turn, all of a sudden we can radically change a lot of our emotions because now the, the Spirit of God is living in us and conditioning us, and changing us, and transforming us. And so now we are new creations in Christ. We are not the old people that we were once. As we are guided by God's principles, as we find in Scripture, the resulting choices and behaviors all of a sudden become more and more in line with who God is. If you own a business, all of a sudden, when you come under the Lordship of Jesus, you start making decisions based upon Christ, not about the bottom line. When you come under the Lordship of your health, all of a sudden you're actually beginning to press into your spiritual relationship with God, and you're getting up and spending time with Him, not out of some ritual or religious thing, but you're doing it because you recognize you need spiritual health emotional health. Your family, all of a sudden, when you come into the Lordship of Jesus, now all of a sudden the, the fighting and the arguing, this ongoing pettiness in our marriage, and I don't mean to imply that any of your problems are petty, but, but I do say that, man, when we are new creations in Christ, it should radically change our marriage. It should radically change how we're raising our children to be Christ followers. And in our play, do we take the time to rest in the presence of God? Do we take the time to have fun? Did you know that fun is actually a good thing? That enjoying life that he's given us, he's given us such a blessing in his creation and we get the opportunity to enjoy it. See, this is how we become complete or whole. But instead, what we often do is we try to make changes in our life by ourselves. In our own strength, we, we leave God out of the picture. 
We say, okay, God, you can have my spiritual health, but my work and family, I got that covered. Paul, inspired by God's Spirit, he shares the secret to being whole. And it's God him, if it's God himself who can change us through and through in our entire being, if we desire this and we ask him to, Paul tells us that the one who calls us is actually faithful to do this. It requires surrender. Not of part of our life, but of all of it. A part of living in Texas now, you, whenever I travel outside to the Northwest, or as I said, I was in Arkansas, inevitably what will happen is people will come up to me and when I tell them that I live in Texas, and they say, oh, have you been to the silos? And I don't know how big or small they think Texas might be, uh, but for whatever reason, Texas has been boiled down to two silos, a, a restaurant, a cupcake place, and, and a store that's super expensive that nobody can afford anything. In. So that is, and so they're like, oh, have you been to, to Magnolia? Have you been to Waco to, to the silos? And um, I have been once. Uh, but there's this phenomenon that's taken place where nobody used to know the names Chip and JoJo. <laughs> but now, all across the world, wherever you go, all you see is Joanna Gaines. She's in restaurants, she's on food, she's on, uh, on decoration, she's in your Target, she's everywhere. I can't even go to Target without even seeing her. But, so it's just, I mean, she's a good person, but, but she's everywhere. And she was a part of this show, if you've been living under a rock, she's been a part of this show called Fixer Upper. And in this show, this is really a, a, a fun show to watch uh, because they go in and they renovate this house. But inevitably, at the end of the show, there's what's called the big reveal. And they print up this big, uh, this big canvas of the old house. There it is. Of the old house. And then on the count of three, they, they separate the canvas and there's immediate like waterworks of tears or cheering and, and people so excited and shouting. Where, where, why? Why the emotion in... I mean, it's just a house. What is it about the, the reveal that is so invoking of emotion into these people's lives? Because the house has become something new. It's not like she just went into the old house and said, hey, let's throw some shiplap up on the wall. Let's uh, move things around. We'll get some stuff from my store. We'll put it in there. We'll have that dude make a little table and we'll throw it in there. <laughs> I've seen it. So it's not like she's just redecorating the house. No, they're like knocking out walls. They're bringing it down to the studs and then they're rebuilding this house. It's something new. And the something new, there's hope in the memories that they plan to have into the future. And my question is, have you allowed God to make you something new? Not just redecorate your life, but actually renovate your life. What is it that God's looking to restore in your life? What wall have you not allowed him to break down and to knock out and to make new? 
Ephesians 2.10 in the message paraphrase reminds us that we are God's masterpiece. That we are this one-of-a-kind piece of art. You're not an afterthought. You're his masterpiece. You're not even the art that's down at the bottom that nobody looks at. It's actually displayed for all to see. See, the ability to partner with God is the ability to see something magnificent take place in your life that you could never dream or imagine. Something that brings hope to a future that may feel hopeless. See, we are fixer-uppers. We are people who are being fixed up. Not redecorated, but renovated into something new. Philippians 4, 7, again in the, in the message paraphrase, says, before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It is wonderful what happens when Christ displaces the worry, the fear, the shame, the pride, when God moves all of those things out that we discussed about rethinking our life and all of a sudden places himself in the center of our life. We weren't made to live a deconstructed life where God gets only part of us. We were made to live an integrated life where all of who we are is surrendered to all of who he is. And by the way, we were not intended to eat deconstructed food either. Let's pray. Well, Father, we... We just humbly come before you, and God, I pray for people who have felt as though their life has become stagnant. It's not that they don't believe in you or they're not, there's not salvation, but honestly, if they're being honest, they, there hasn't been a lot of renovation that's taken place. And so, God, I pray for renovation. I pray for something new. God, not, not the old, but new in all aspects of our life, in our, in our family, in our work. God, in our relationships, let us be husbands to our wives that you've called us to be, and wives to our husbands, and fathers and mothers to our children. And God, let us be friends to those you've put around us in our circle. God, let us be people who just have completely submitted to you in all aspects of our relationships. And Lord, let us rest well. Let us play in the presence of our Creator. And every time we have the opportunity to, to do something that's just so enjoyable and so fun, God, could we be a people who gives you all of the credit and glory for that? God, let us live Christ-centered lives. Lord, let our life speak to the reflection of who you are in us in all of us. And God, we ultimately trust and surrender to you as we begin to rethink these areas that maybe we've been unwilling to give you access to. God, we give you all full access, backstage pass. God, do a new work, a restorative work in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. And invite the ushers to come.
Uh, we're going to receive our tithes and offerings. This is going to be the opportunity. If you're visiting with us, you can drop the card in there. I'm going to pray for our offering, and then we're going to close our time out in, in worship. God, we, we give, uh, as, as we always talk about, a sacrifice of our praise, that this is not a transactional issue. This is not something that just maintains or keeps the lights on or any of those things, but really, God, that this is an act of our worship. And this is an act of surrender that, as we've been discussing, that all of our lives are completely surrendered to you, even our finances, our resources. And we say, God, we trust you. It doesn't make sense, but we trust you because you are our creator and everything that we have belongs to you. So, Lord, I pray that you would continue to, to change lives. Lord, that you would continue to see the restoration of life take place in, in homes, in families, in marriages. God, that there would just be a restorative work that you continue to do. God, let our, our words be words of life and not death. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, go ahead. And after the basket goes by, uh, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're just going to close our, our time out. We actually are singing a new song that uh, I don't think I, we've, we've done this one, right? Or have we? No. It's a new song. And I, as I was sitting there in first service listening to the words of this song, it, uh, it's perfect for what we're talking about today. And we didn't, even, we didn't even plan it, but it's perfect for what we're talking about today where, where we just say, I, I could... I could just sit and I could just, you know, skate on by, but God is actually calling you to more. That he has something more magnificent for your life that you've never even experienced before. Now, if you're retired, you might not get paid for it. But just because you're retired doesn't mean that you get to retire from the kingdom of God. If you're retired, it doesn't mean that God stops doing something magnificent through your life. My parents just retired, and I'm like, that doesn't mean you get to coast. You still got work to do for God's kingdom. Can we stand and, and close our time out?